Amen. Thank you so much, Brother Jonah, for that special. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Numbers this evening. The book of Numbers. And we're going to continue our overview of Scripture down that road, Route 66. And we're going to look at the book of Numbers this evening. Numbers chapter 1. Numbers chapter 1. We're going to go to Numbers chapter 14 also. We're going to start in Numbers chapter 1, and I want to read a couple verses to you. Follow along as I read, where the Bible says in verse number 1 of Numbers 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of the congregation on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt. That's pretty specific, isn't it? So we know now that when they send the spies, which happens in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, when they send the 12 spies into the land, it happened two years after they came out of Egypt. The end of verse 1, saying, here's what the Lord said to Moses, Take ye the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel, after their families, by the house of their fathers, with the number of their names, every male, by their poles. We have here in the Bible the very first census, if you will, national census, that is, as uh, God commands Israel to be numbered, not once in the book, but twice. Now turn over to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, and this is actually right in the middle of when the, or toward the end, I'm sorry, of when the uh, 12 spies were sent in to spy out the promised land. They have returned now, and, and as you remember from that childhood song, 10 were bad and 2 were good. Here is the report of two of the good spies. We know them as Joshua and Caleb, but it says in Numbers chapter 14, verse 8. If the Lord delight in us, and He will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defenses departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll jump into the text this evening. Our Father, Lord, we do thank you for the book of Numbers. And Lord, while... Sometimes in our Bible reading, as we attempt to read through Scripture once a year, or perhaps 66 books in 66 days, or whatever our Bible reading plan may be, or sometimes that book of Numbers is one that just kind of escapes us. Because it's full of names, and it's full of details that seem insignificant. But God, you've given us this book for a reason. So Lord, I pray it should help us tonight to have a better understanding and a better grasp of what that purpose is and why we have this book. We'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers is a book that is actually doing exactly what the title says. It's numbering. The key verses in Numbers, I like to give the key verses and the key thought of the books, but the key verses in Numbers are really the verses that we read. I'm going to say that there are two sets of key verses. There's Numbers 1, 1, and 2, and then Numbers 14, 8, and 9. You say, well, why are there two key sets of verses? Because the first one tells us what the book is all about. It's about numbering the people. The second set of key verses tell us really what the theme of the book is. And so Numbers is a book that demonstrates how God reacts, or how man reacts. I'm sorry, it's a book that demonstrates just how man reacts 
when we're being tested, when we're being tested, and when, while Numbers 1, 1 and 2 tell us what the book is all about when it comes to numbering the people, Numbers 14, verses 8 and 9 teach us this, that God is faithful despite man's failure. God is faithful despite man's failure. That's why we can sing a chorus like, God is so good, God is so good, He's so good to me. Do we deserve the goodness of God? No, we do not. We do not deserve the goodness of God, but God, despite our failure, He chooses to be good. And in the book of Numbers, we see a running theme of this thought. God is faithful despite man's failures. And as I said, Numbers is that book that demonstrates how man reacts when he is being tested. We've all heard the phrase that a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. We've heard that phrase before. And while we understand that concept, we must remember that trials are a certainty in the Christian life. They will come. They will happen. And Numbers is called Numbers, like I said, because the people of Israel are numbered twice. Uh, once here in chapter 1 and then again in chapter 26. But it also shows us that running thing of the fact, a theme of the fact that God is faithful despite man's failures. And so this evening, as we look at Numbers, I want us really to see the three major sections as we notice that, that fact. God is faithful despite man's failures. And I want us to see, first of all, as we look at this overview of the book of Numbers, I want us to see, first of all, the word from God. The Word from God, chapters 1 through 10 is this section. The Word from God. Now we're told, if we go back to Numbers chapter 1, verse number 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of the congregation, on the first day of the second month in the second year, after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying... All right, so what just happened here? What just happened? He's in the wilderness of Sinai. What else happened in the wilderness of Sinai? He went up to the mountain and he received the tablets. That's what happened with Moses. And so they received the word of the Lord. They received that word from God. You know, it's a good thing, if we are going to try to live the Christian life, it's a good thing for us to stay close to the manual of the Christian life. If we're going to try to walk with the Lord, it is a good thing for us to try to stay close to the instruction book. It's well documented, probably because I've used it as illustrations. I am not a handyman. Not by any stretch of the imagination. I can't look at a situation that's going wrong in our home and, and think, how, how can this be fixed? I either have to have an instruction manual to put something together, or I have to go to YouTube so that I can learn how to uh, uh, fix a problem. And that's typically what happens. Whenever, uh, the first time we purchased a home, it was in Indiana. And, and I remember when things would come up, I, I'd have to fix them. And you know what I'd do? I'd go to YouTube. And I'd, I'd, uh, I'd watch something on YouTube, whether it be a lawnmower malfunctioning or having to replace a heating element in a, a, dry, in a uh, hot water heater. I had to go to YouTube to figure out how to do it. I don't know how to do that stuff on my own. I have to follow instructions. Well, the Word of God is our instruction manual. And unless we are willing to, to hold close God's Word in our life as we walk the Christian life, we will get off track if we don't follow the manual. Well, what does God's Word tell us? What does the Word of God tell us in our instruction for, in living for Him? Well, let me share with you a few things that the Word tells us that's actually in Numbers. Here's the first one. It's found in chapter 1. Be available. 
as we follow God's word, we learn that we are to be available. You see, as the men were numbered in verses 2 and 3, we understand that it was the men that had to be available to be numbered for battle. So that as they were attacked, whether it be um, uh, the Battle of Rephidim or whether it be you know, the Midianites that attacked them, we understand that the men had to stand up and be available to be numbered so that when war happened, when the battle happened, they would be there. Well, I have a question for us then. Uh, just by way of application. Are we available for the service of Christ? Man, what a thought. Here we're talking about the word of the Lord that came to Moses for the children of Israel, and he had to number the people. And in that word is this thought expressed, be available. You know, some of us never recognize what God wants us to do with our life because we never fully made ourselves available to him. And I want to encourage you tonight, if you've never gotten to that point in your life where you said, God, no matter what you want me to do, I will do it. Tonight is the night to do that. And then in a very practical ways, I think about even our church here. Are you available for his service? You know, I think about some of the ancillary ministries that happen, and they are a vital part to our church working, to, to uh, the gospel being presented. I think about the men that run sound, even tonight. I think about the men that are up in the video room, even tonight, and broadcasting the service. You know, it wouldn't be possible if there weren't people available. And I'm thankful for them. But I wonder if you've made yourself available for the ministries of this church. I wonder if you hear about a need in the nursery, or a need in Sunday school, or a need in the children's ministry. I wonder if you're willing, if you're available. Some of us are content to attend at church, but not willing to be available to serve in church. And that's an issue. We all should be available. And, and at the very beginning of this book, God in His Word tells the men of Israel, be available. And He also tells us we are to be available for His service. We've got to stay close to his word, close to the instruction manual. When we do, we see that we need to be available. But not only do we see that in chapter 1, in chapter 2 we see this. You need to be positioned correctly. You need to be positioned correctly. You say, what do you mean by that? If you were to read uh, uh, Numbers chapter 2, you would see how they camped, how the camp was set up. And on the outermost rim you would see the twelve tribes of Israel, three on every side. And inside of them, you would see uh, four groups of people. You, you would see the Levites on three sides of the very center part, because the Levites were divided up into three groups. And then on one side, the entrance into the tabernacle, because the tabernacle was in the very middle. But on the entry side to the tabernacle, you would see Moses and Aaron and the priests. Now remember, uh, all the priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. And so you would see them on the entry side of the tabernacle. But here's my point. Well, all 12 tribes were positioned on the outskirts of the camp. And the Levites and Moses and Aaron, the priests, were positioned surrounding a certain center of the camp. And you know what the center was? It was the tabernacle. And we see that in chapter 2. What does that mean? That means God was in the middle. He was in the middle of it all. 
The tribes camped around the tabernacle. The Levites and the priests camped around the tabernacle. But they kept God as the center. If we are going to stay close to the word of God, it's imperative for us that we keep God at the center, that we be positioned correctly where God is in the center of our life. We see that in the book of Numbers. We see the word from God. He says, be available he says, be positioned correctly. And then in chapters 3 and 4, we see this. Be submissive. Be submissive. It is impossible to live the Christian life effectively apart from submission. Absolutely impossible. You see, priests and Levites in chapters 3 and 4, they were given specific duties. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Levites that were not priests were divided up into three different groups. And in those three groups, they were given specific duties. They were given specific responsibilities. And I'll say this too, those three groups of Levites, they weren't even gifted the same way. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if you were to read chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Numbers, I think it's interesting that two of the groups got wagons and one didn't. Two of the groups of Levites, they got wagons and one didn't. Man, can I tell you that today's, today's Christianity would complain about that? Today's Christianity would call out God on his favoritism to the two other groups. Hey, they got a wagon, but I didn't. And we'd even allow that, we'd allow that to hinder our service for him. Well, God, I don't have to be productive as the other two groups because they got a wagon and I didn't. And we'd find ourselves just complaining over the fact that, oh, God gifted them in a different way than they gifted me. And so he ought to expect more from them than he expects of me. Can I tell you this? God gives us all in different ways, but the work still has to be done. It still has got to be done. We're not all gifted the same way, but it's still got to be complete. Can I tell you, we're living in a society that are conditioning our children and this generation that's growing up where everybody should get a wagon. When God says no, not everybody gets a trophy. Not everybody gets a wagon. And you follow me and you do my will and you stay in my word regardless of how I've gifted you. And by the way, if God's called you to do something, then he's given you the appropriate gifts to accomplish that task. And so we just need to be submissive to what God calls us to. We see that in chapters 3 and 4. As we look at the Word of God, we see His Word is be available. His Word is be positioned correctly. His Word is be submissive. And then in chapters 5 and 6, we, need, we see this, be separated. Be separated. In chapters 5 and 6, we can read about how it's necessary to separate the lepers from the camp. Leprosy was a horrible, horrible disease at this time. They didn't necessarily know of a cure other than going before the high priest and him pronouncing you to be clean. And even then, they didn't know how it happened. But he had to declare, he had to declare you to be clean. And so he said, be separate. I, I think it's interesting, and I'm not... I'm not uh, getting on to anybody here, but I think it's interesting that when our government calls for a separation, we, we jump to it. But our God calls for one, and we're not so quick to do it. I mean, isn't that what's going on here? Oh, we've got to live in quarantine, and we've got to keep ourselves in our houses, and we've got to stay home, stay healthy. And, and I'm not mocking that. I think that's necessary. I understand that. But when our government calls for separation, we adhere to it. But what about when our God calls for separation? And he called for them to be separated from the lepers. Leprosy was that dreadful disease and symbolic of sin. And God calls from us to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. 
but yet we're quicker to obey the word of our government in separation than we are the word of our God in separation. You know what the Bible says? It says we need to be separated from sin. We need to be separated from it. That's in chapters 5 and 6. But what about chapter 7? As we continue on the word from God, what does he tell us? He says, be available, be positioned correctly, be submissive to me, be separated. And then he says in chapter 7, be generous. He says in chapter 7, be generous. You can read it for yourself, but the Bible says that we're to be ready to give of our substance. And we're also supposed to do it generously. Generously. Oftentimes, you know, we'll, we'll get that tithe ready because it's 10%. We know, hey, we're not going to argue with the Lord. I mean, he wants us to give that tithe, and so we're going give to give it to him. And every, if there's any other part of our giving to the Lord, it's often because what we have left over. And rather out of giving out of our abundance and giving generously, we're giving out of our calculation. And what, what we think, hey, we can afford this. God doesn't say that we're to give by our affordability. He says we're supposed to give generously. And so he says, be generous in chapter 7. This is the word of God going to the children of Israel in the book of Numbers. Wait a second, Pastor. You mean this isn't just a book of names? No. So much more than that in here. And then in chapter 8, what does the Word of God tell us? The Word from God says, uh, be pure in chapter 8. Be pure. You see, in chapter 8, those Levites were anointed. Those priests, they were anointed, which reminded them of their responsibility to remain pure for the work of Christ. They were anointed. And by the way, that anointing was also a picture that they were to be totally dependent on God. Hey, we can do nothing for Christ if we're not dependent on Him. Our greatest position is total dependence on God. And so we need to be pure as we depend on God. And then in chapters 9 and 10, as we look at that word from God, where He says, be available, and He says, be positioned correctly, and He says, be submissive, and He says, be separated, and He says, be generous, and He says, be pure. He says this in chapters 9 and 10, be ready, be ready. So what do you mean by that? If you were to read chapters 9 and 10, you'd see that, that they, they were observing that Passover and they ate the Passover. And after they ate the Passover, they had to be ready to move right away. By the way, this is what happened at the first Passover. When they were in Egypt, they had to eat the Passover and they had to be ready right away. If you read Exodus carefully at that first Passover, they had to have everything ready to go even before they ate the Passover. Because when they ate the Passover, they had to have their shoes on and their laces tied up and they had to be ready to go. <clears throat> because when it was time for God to move, they had to follow. Well, the same is true here in chapters 9 and 10 of Numbers. After they ate the Passover, they had to be instantly ready to move right away. Because whether it was by the cloud or by the pillar of fire, once God, once God started moving, they had to move. They had to follow they had to be ready. And by the way, since we're talking about the Word of God and His Word to us, that Word from God, we can chew on God's Word. But if we chew on God's Word and never mobilize, that's a problem. You see, they had to eat the Passover, but they had to be ready to go. We need to engage God's Word, but we need to be ready to go forward with God's Word too. Getting the work of Christ done requires mobilization, and we need to be ready when God moves. That's the first section of the book of Numbers, the word from God. But I want you to notice 
in chapters 11 through 20, I want you to notice the second section. We saw the word from God in chapters 1 through 10. In chapters 11 through 20, I want you to notice the wandering in the wilderness. The wandering that happens in the, the wilderness in chapters 11 through 20. Now, here's the question. Why were they wandering? Now, we know the answer. We know why they were wandering. Because 12 men went to spy on Cain and 10 were bad and 2 were good. And the 10 came back and told everybody how, whole, how hard it was going to be to get the land. So they decided not to go in. And every single day they sent a spy in. They had to wander in the wilderness for a year for every day they spent, sent the spy in. And how, how many days did they send spies in? They sent spies in for 40 days. And so how many years did they have to wander in the wilderness? 40 years. We understand that. And we know what happened. But do you know why they had to wander in the wilderness? There's several things here that we see in the book of Numbers. And the wandering continued for several reasons. And I want to show them to you this evening. And let's just see if maybe, just maybe, we, we find ourselves wandering sometimes, not knowing why. I wonder if one of these categories fit into a reason why we're wandering in the wilderness instead of walking with the Lord the way that we should. See, because in chapter 11, why were they wandering? They were wandering because of their complaining. They're complaining, uh-oh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really want to stop here, because I know how guilty I am in chapter 11, complaining. What were they complaining about? They were complaining about the manna. They were complaining about the provision that God gave them. Well, how horrible is that? I mean, here we are. We're really a week into our lives being altered because of COVID-19, and I understand that. But let me tell you something. Uh, if I'm not careful, I, I might complain about not being able to go into a restaurant and sit down and eat. And then we think, how ticky-tack is that? How, how futile is that? I mean, God continues to provide for us. But here in this instance... They were taking the provision of God and they were complaining in the, about the manner in which God was providing for them. Man, have we gotten to the point where we take for granted the blessing of God so much that we complain about the manner in which He provides? Complaining. You know, complaining is, complaining is the accepted sin of America. You know, I pray when, when this is all done, I pray that there would be a renewed spirit of gratitude for things. I mean, a renewed spirit of, of just, hey, I'm not going to complain. I'm, I'm not going to complain if I uh, go to church and something doesn't go my way or, or someone doesn't shake my hand. Hey, can I tell you, hey, be grateful that we get to be here because it can be taken away. We ought not be complaining. They were wandering in the wilderness, and while they were doing that, they were complaining. But let me show you another reason. In chapter 12, not just because of complaining in chapter 11, but in chapter 12, because of rebellion. Rebellion. Maybe you find yourself wandering in the wilderness of life, and you're complaining. Maybe you find yourself wandering in the wilderness of life because of rebellion. You say, what happened in the rebellion of chapter 12? Well, it was Moses' sister, Miriam. I mean, if you read about it, Miriam, she rebelled against the authority of Moses. And what happened to her, by the way? She was stricken with leprosy. God does not take lightly the sin of rebellion. He says this in, in the book of 1 Samuel, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And he doesn't take lightly to it. And when Miriam rebelled against Moses' authority, she was stricken with leprosy. And can I just say this tonight? Despite what our society may indicate, 
Rebellion is not a virtue. It's almost a cool thing to be a rebel. And it has been for some time. But can I just say this? Rebellion is not something that God smiles on. It was causing the wandering. It was complaining. There was rebellion. Let me, let me say another thing about rebellion. Rebellion is direct opposition against the authority structure that God's given to us, that God's placed in our life for our protection. When Miriam chose to rebel against Moses, she was choosing to rebel against the authority structure that God placed in her life. And you know what? I get it. I understand because you know, she, was, she was the older sister of Moses. Now, I joke with my family, they are up in Salem, and I joke with my sister. My sister's an office manager for a Baptist church up in Salem, and I joke with them sometimes, and I say, man, I'm glad you're up there because it'd be horrible to have to pastor my own family, and I joke with them. But you know, the Bible says that a prophet is not without honor, saving his own country. And don't you think that maybe Miriam looked at Moses sometimes and said, why do I have to listen to you? You're my little brother. The reason why she had to listen to him is because God placed him in authority over her. But she rebelled against it. Now, now the reason why she said she rebelled is because she didn't like the fact that he had married this Ethiopian woman. She didn't like that and so rebelled against that. But she was rebelling against the authority. You know, uh, typically when... When somebody is, gets upset with somebody, or, or so, a lot of times what they, what, they, um, what they say is the problem is just the scratching of the surface of it. Something, a lot of times there's something far deeper rooted. For instance, if, um, if we're sitting at the dinner table and I've got my face buried in my phone, I can promise you this, it's going to, it's going to irritate my wife, rightfully so. If, if I've just got my face buried in the phone. And so I start to take a drink of my water. And, and while I drink my water, she can hear my gulping. She says, would you stop gulping? Well, she's not necessarily upset about the gulping. That doesn't happen, by the way. I'm just using this as an illustration. There's something deeper that's going on. There's something worse that's going on. And we, we see that here with Miriam. She cites, because if you read chapter 12, you might say, oh, well, Miriam was just standing up to the fact that Moses married this Ethiopian. It's not okay. No, no, no. There was a deeper root here. Miriam had trouble with authority, and she rebelled against it. Man, the, when we rebel, we're going to end up wandering in the wilderness. When we complain, we're going to end up wandering in the wilderness. Well, let me show you another one. Chapters 13 and 14. Another reason why they were wandering in the wilderness, not just complaining, not just rebellion, but also disobedience. Chapters 13 and 14, disobedience. Well, what happened in chapters 13 and 14? The spies were sent in to spy out the land. And I've already alluded to the song a couple of times, ten were bad and, and two were good, but the spies were sent in to explore that land. Now notice, they were sent in to explore and they actually ended up explaining away God's command for them to take the land. Uh, they were actually supposed to go into the land and say, hey, the best strategy for taking the land would be this. They weren't supposed to go into the land and say, I don't think we should take the land. But you know what they did? They disobeyed God's plan. God had a plan, but ten people convinced the whole nation to disobey. Ten people. 
And by the way, we better be careful because it doesn't take a whole lot of negativity and a whole lot of, 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 um, of people to persuade others to disobey. Ten, ten caused the entire nation to disobey. And it had drastic results, by the way, because everybody 20 years older, uh, 20 years old and older, they died in the wilderness. In the next 38 years, all of them died. But disobedience and wandering in the wilderness because of complaining, because of rebellion, because of disobedience. What about this one? In chapters 15 through 19, we see this one, pride. Pride. Say, well, what was going on in chapters 15 through 19? You can read the account of Korah and how Korah, he tried to establish his own priesthood, his own lineage of priests. And God, you know what he did? As a result of the pride of Korah and trying to uh, mount an insurrection against God's line of priests and trying to raise up his own, you know what God did? He opened up the earth and he swallowed Korah and all these people. Pride is a very serious offense against God. In fact, many people would call it the, the sin that started at all, at all, as Lucifer himself was lifted up in pride. And if you read about the fall of Lucifer, you can read about the five I wills. I will uh, ascend into the throne. I will be like the Most High God. And he continues to say, I will do this. I will do this. And God says, you're going to do what? And he throws him out of heaven. What was it? It was pride. But Korah in his pride rejected God's priesthood, trying to establish his own. And God said, no, I'm going to have none of that. Of none of that. What does he tell us? What does God remind us of in the New Testament? God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You know, pride is the sin that, that you can't approach God with. That must be taken care of before you come to God. We cannot be proud and approach God. And they rejected God's priesthood. By the way, let me just say this. Korah was trying to set up his own priest, his own priestly line. Do you realize that only God can make someone a priest? I mean, that's true today. God's the only one that can make someone a priest. The Pope can't make anybody a priest. Another priest can't make anybody a priest. God is the only one that can make somebody a priest. And it's only by accepting the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting His work on the cross that one can become a priest today. That's the only way. As Baptists, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. And once we're saved, we are a priest. And God's the only one that can make a priest today. Anytime somebody tries to, to establish their own priesthood, they're doing it in their pride. So I'm going to establish my priesthood by, by doing good. That's the pride. I'm going to establish my priesthood because I'm going, to, I'm going to use this word, submit to the waters of baptism. Well, in your submission to the waters of baptism, you're proud. You say, how am I proud? Because you're telling God, I don't trust your way. I'm going to do it my own way. And Korah, he tried that, and it didn't work out very well for him. Hey, maybe we're wandering in the wilderness today because we're filled up with pride. It's complaining, it's rebellion, it's disobedience, it's pride. Let me give you another one. Chapter 20, what about this one? Anger. Anger, we see it in chapter 20. One of the saddest passages in the Old Testament, if you were to ask me, I'd say this, this was a brutal passage in chapter 20. Why? Because Moses, as a leader, was... Confronted once again with the complaining Israelites about being thirsty. Now he had already once in the wilderness been confronted with complaining Israelites about needing water. And God told him to strike the rock and that's exactly what he did. But the second time comes about and God tells him to speak to the rock. But in his anger, he smote the rock twice. 
and it had devastating consequences. Well, what were the consequences? He couldn't enter into the promised land, the one thing that he desired for his entire life. He couldn't do. Why? Because of his anger. Because of his anger. Hey, we best be careful with our reaction of anger. Man, I'm telling you this right now. If, if any of these point, points preach to me, it's this one right here. Man, I better be careful about my reaction of anger. And we struggle with this. People struggle with this. And we understand that. But it's not okay. There are, there are times to become angry. But I'd venture to guess that most of the time that we show our anger, it's not a righteous time to be angry. And it costs Moses dearly. And by the way, let me just say this too about Moses. He so desperately wanted to go in the promised land and he couldn't. He had to view it from the other side of Jordan, from Pisgah. He had to view it from the other side of Jordan. He just had to see, just could see it. And, and no doubt it gave him a longing, even more so, to go into the promised land. Did you know that Moses eventually got into the promised land? He got there at the Mount of Transfiguration. He set his foot down on that mountain there and, and was with uh, Jesus and Elijah and the, the inner circle was there looking at them too. And, and I'd have to think that after being in heaven, Moses was just a little disappointed with the promised land when he finally got to go into it. So what had become the longing of his heart, he forfeited because of his anger. And it was never satisfactory to him because when he finally got to get into the, put his foot down in the promised land, he said, well, this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be, especially thinking about the place I just came from. So there's complaining and rebellion, disobedience, pride and anger. Why were they wandering? For those reasons. And so we've looked at the word from God. We've looked at the wandering in the wilderness. And I want us to take, I want, I want to take us to that third section which is ever so important, the walk with the Lord. The walk with the Lord. And this is the walk that takes them actually into the promised land, the walk that takes them to the land. In chapters 21 through 36, we see this. And if you are going to walk with the Lord, and you're going to faithfully do so, there are some things that need to happen. And we see this in the last part of the book of Numbers. Here's the first one in chapter 21. If you're going to walk with the Lord, you need to deal with sin. If you're going to faithfully walk with the Lord, you need to deal with with sin. In chapter 21, God as a, a judgment to the children of Israel because of their different sins, He, he sends this, uh, these serpents into the wilderness. And we remember what happens if you get bitten by a serpent, you are going to die. But God tells Moses to make a brazen serpent, put it up on a pole and, 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 and erect it in the sky. And, and then He tells the children of Israel, if you look to the serpent, You'll live. If you look to the brazen serpent, you'll, you'll live. Well, what is it? They had, to, they had to, by faith, accept what God told them they had to do. I mean, this is dealing with sin. That's the reason why they were in the condition they were in. Moses lifts up the serpent in the wilderness. Hey, do you know what? If we're going to walk with the Lord in today, we need to deal with sin. Jesus told Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. There's only one way to deal with our sin problem today, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. That's the only way to deal with that sin. 
we are going to walk with the Lord, sin must be dealt with. Maybe you're listening tonight and, and you've, you've never dealt with the sin in your life. You've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you for your sins and to be your Savior. Can I implore you tonight that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and the children of Israel had to look to the serpent to live, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up and we must look to the cross in order to live and allow God to deal with our sin. If we're going to walk with the Lord, we've got to deal with sin. But I love this one also. This one's so practical for us as believers today. In chapter 21, yeah, we need to deal with sin. But in chapters 22 through 24, I want you to notice that as we walk with the Lord, if we're going to walk with the Lord the way that we ought to, then we must be a blessing. We must be a blessing in chapters 22 through 24. If you were to read it, it's probably one of the most humorous stories, one of the most humorous accounts in all of Scripture. It's the account of Balaam and his donkey. When Balaam is hired to curse Israel, and the donkey says, no, you don't want to do that, and they have that, mod, that dialogue back and forth with each other. And I'm always tickled when I read it because it's, he's three or four sentences into, sentences into his conversation with his donkey before he realizes, wait a second. What am I doing here? He has this conversation with a donkey, and when it's all said and done, we realize that the thing that Balaam was hired to do, curse Israel, he actually is unable to do. He cannot curse Israel despite all of his efforts and wanting to and desiring to do what he was hired to do. He can't curse Israel. And how frustrating would that be if you're Balaam? He starts to say the words about, about pronouncing the curse on Israel. And you know what comes out? The blessing on Israel. Talk about a situation that he's unable to control. Okay, he thinks in his mind, this is what I'm going to say. And he starts to say it, but instead it says, the star of David shall come forth. Now wait a second. <laughs> That's not what I wanted to say. And he's trying to curse Israel, but in his desire to curse Israel and doing what he was hired to do, he actually gives one of the most beautiful blessings on Israel in the entire Bible, chapter 24, when he pronounces that that star of David shall come forth. You know, most Bible scholars believe that when the Magi came from the east, that they were actually following the prophecy of Balaam and the blessing of Balaam. That's a fascinating thought. So when I read this, you know what I'm encouraged with? As we're going to walk with the Lord, can I just say this? Be a blessing. Be a blessing to people. We need to be a blessing. If we are going to walk with the Lord, we need to be a blessing to the Lord. We need to be a blessing. How many times in the Psalms do we read, bless the Lord, we're to bless the Lord, we're to praise Him. But not just bless the Lord, we need to be a blessing to each other. The Lord has given us as believers unique opportunity right now to be a blessing to each other. He really has. Hey, I have a question for all of us this evening. Have you reached out to somebody in the church and asked him how you could be a blessing to them during this time? Man, we ought to. We ought to be calling each other and saying, hey, I'm, I'm getting ready to go to the store and you live just down the street from me. Do you need anything? Can I get something for you? We ought to be reaching out to the elderly and, and even the widows in our church and saying, hey, let me be a blessing to you. Do you need anything done around the house? Do you need anything done? Can I, can I, can I make that store run for you? We need to be a blessing. 
The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that we are to exhort one another today while it is called today. Have you looked for an opportunity today to be a blessing? If we're going to walk with the Lord, we need to deal with sin, but we also need to be a blessing. In chapter 25, we see this. If we're going to walk with the Lord, we need to avoid immorality. We need to avoid immorality. In chapter 25, we read about how Israel was guilty of fornication. And you know what happened? 24,000 of them died as a result. 24,000 of them died as a result. Man, here in America, if we've played loose with anything, it's with, with impurity. It's with, uh, it's with uh, immorality. I mean, it is the punchline of most sitcoms today. Well, God's not going to stand for that. If we're going to walk with the Lord, we need to avoid immorality. We're told to flee it in the New Testament, to run away from it. Fleeing is not the action of a coward. Fleeing is the action of, of, a, of an obedient person that wants to walk with the Lord. And so we need to avoid immorality so we walk with the Lord Deal with sin, be a blessing, avoid immorality. Chapters 26 and 27, we need to do this. We need to embrace God's promises in chapters 26 and 27. In chapter 26 and 27, uh, the, the charge comes from God to move forward and take the land. It's already been promised, so embrace the promise. Say, wait a second, I read chapter 26 and 27 and I don't see that at all. In fact, all I see is that the children of Israel, they're renumbered. And all I see is that the land is divided again. And all I see is that Joshua is picked as the successor to Moses in chapter 26 and 27. I don't see move forward at all. I don't see embrace God's promises at all. Hey, the very fact that God told them once again, hey, I'm going to number you for the battles that are going to come. The very fact that God, before they're in the land, divides the land to them. The very fact that God chooses a successor for Moses, whose name is Joshua, it implies the fact that these people need to embrace the promise that God had already given them about the land, and they just need to go take it. And so we need to move forward embracing, embracing the promise of God. God's given us several promises in His Word. You know what, if we're going to walk with the Lord, we need to embrace those promises what about this one, chapters 28 through 30? By the way, just in case you're wondering, I'm actually preaching what the Bible says here because I'm about ready to say something again that sounds like a redundancy. But the reason why it's a redundancy is because God made it redundant. It shows up twice in the book of Numbers. But in chapters 28 through 30, if we're going to walk with the Lord, yeah, I said deal with sin, be a blessing, avoid immorality, embrace God's promises, and I worded it this way. Walk with the Lord. What is that in verses 28 through 30? Invest in God's economy. Invest in God's economy. In Numbers chapter 28, let me read a verse to you out of that chapter, verse number 1 and 2. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Now listen to what God tells Moses to tell the children of Israel. He said, Command. He didn't say beg. He didn't say encourage them to. He said, command. Command what? Command the children of Israel and say unto them, My offering and my bread for my sacrifices made by fire for a sweet savor unto me shall ye observe to offer unto me in their due season. Man, we need to invest in God's economy. We need to be, be cheerful givers and generous givers out of our, out of our abundance. If we're going to walk with the Lord, then we need to we need to obey God and invest in His economy. I'm just going to say this. 
if you are not giving the way that God commands us to give, and if you are not giving according to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're not walking with God the way that you should. You need to walk with the Lord. Invest in God's economy. Let me give you another one. In chapters 31 through 32, I love this because it's like a good old fight song uh, on the university campuses. Because this, in, in chapters 31 and 32, if you're going to walk with the Lord, here's what, here's what God tells us to do. He just says, keep going. Keep going. Put, pick one foot up and put it in front of the other and do it again and again and again and just keep going. You say, what's the context of chapters 31 and 32? It's this, it's this battle with Midian again as vengeance was, was Moses' final battle. But he kept fighting and he kept going. I'm reminded of the passage in, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We need to keep going. We need to be steadfast and unmovable. And by the way, let me just say this. Moses knew at this point in his life, he knew that he wasn't going into the promised land. He already knew it. You know what a lot of our reaction would be if, if, if that one desire of our heart was taken away, that one goal of our life was taken away, uh, many of us would have said, well then, what's, what, why is it worth doing anything for the Lord now? And we would have quit and we would have given up. Moses already knew at this point that he wasn't going to be allowed to go into the promised land, but he still fought. And he still kept going. He kept going forward for Christ. By the way, the harder the battle the greater the reward, the sweeter the victory. We've got to keep going. The walk with the Lord, deal with sin, be a blessing, avoid immorality, embrace God's promises, invest in God's economy, keep going, chapters 31 and 32, and then finally in chapters 33 through 36, trust the Lord to the end. I mean, trust the Lord to the end. What happens in chapters 33 through 36? Uh, there's, there's good memory here. There's good recounting here. They recount the events of things that have happened, and they realize that God is always faithful, even when we've messed up. God's faithful. God is faithful, even while we choose to not be faithful to Him. He is faithful. God is faithful, even through our failures. And so He is worth trusting to the end in every circumstances, every circumstance, every situation. And so as we think about how we can walk with the Lord, we got to deal with sin and be a blessing. We got to avoid immorality, got to embrace God's promises. We got to invest in God's economy. We got to keep going. We got to trust the Lord to the end. Hey, how do we get Because as we think about the three major sections, how do we get from wandering in the wilderness to walking with the Lord. How do we do that? Well, it's section one of the book. By engaging His Word. By engaging His Word. Maybe you find yourself wandering, wandering around in the wilderness of life when you should be walking faithfully with the Lord. Hey, ask yourself the question. Be honest with yourself as you do a, a time of self-assessment. Am I engaging the word from God as much as I ought to? I find myself wandering way too much in this life when I should be faithfully walking with Him. If you're going to go from wandering in the wilderness to walking with the Lord, you must engage the word from God. So the, book of, the name of this book is called Numbers. So here's my question for us tonight as we conclude. 
We've seen the word from God. We've seen the wandering in the wilderness. But then we see uh, the walking with the Lord. When we're all numbered, will we be numbered with the faithful walkers? The ones that faithfully walked with the Lord. When that starts being numbered, will you be numbered with the faithful? I think it's a fair question. I think it's one that we ought to think about. Will we be counted faithful? I'm going to ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes this evening.